I do not buy dreams. I sell them. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. With me today is a creative genius. He is the individual who told me before I even jumped into podcasting, if you want to do this, be prepared to be called every name in the book. That's the truth. And that is advice that I keep with me. I impart on others when they pick my brain for it in regards to them doing it. He is also the person who did as best of a job as he could in making sure the camera didn't add 10 pounds to my already full frame in a photo shoot that my family did this past weekend. With me is, I mean, you're so much more than just cinematographer. I mean, you're also, you know, social media personality, but more importantly, you're my friend, you're my brother, Justin Porter. How are we doing, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing very well. First and foremost, thank you for inviting me to your beautiful studio. Well, it's nice to have you. Um, I, I even have candles going just for ambiance. I know you can't see it on a podcast, but, you know, it puts a nice fragrance in the air. Absolutely. I am mellowed, I am relaxed, and I am dialed in, man. It's the fragrant take. It's the fragrant take. There we go. My question, is this the first time you've been in, You've been interviewed many a times before, right? Uh, one time when I was 15 years old for a Christian radio station, and that was it. Christian radio station. Yes, yes, it was really weird. And plus, I get to see you do your thing tomorrow. I get to see you MC. Yes. My first time, not your first time doing it. What is the event again? It is SparkCon. It's the um, burlesque uh, erotic poetry. All right. <laughs> now, I got a poem on deck if you need me to fill in. Well, you know, you, there, you have to add the erotic part to it, you know. So I can X out a couple words and put a couple shirt, new ones. You know. You know, just, you know, spice it up a little bit. If you need me to do that to get people out by the end of it, I can absolutely do that. You sign me right on up, bro. It's no problem at all. But thank you. Thank you for coming on. I've been trying to get you on for a uh, for a long time. Um, there's, there's so many places in which where we could, you know, begin, um, you know, any lane of conversation with you. I mean, I want to go to your time where you left North Carolina and then found yourself headed up to uh to new york city oh lord yeah so tell me what took you to new york well uh, probably i was sitting in this job and i was it was for a customs import company and i was working in the warehouse and i was uh, working with these people that i these three guys there were three little rednecks i just really couldn't stand okay and i was like i can't imagine working with these guys for the rest of my life and um what were you doing uh i was literally i was entering a code in for the different countries that freight was going to okay and making labels and putting it on the freight making labels putting it on the freight take paperwork file it it's as boring as it sounds trust me gotcha and you know there was this part of me i grew up in the church singing and you know everyone that i i kind of grew up with there was like this one path you know you kind of would go to the same school you get into the ministry you know, you get married to some, you know, haggard old girl that you meet at the school and, you know, have two little mediocre looking children. And then you have your little music ministry. And that was the path that, you know, most of the people would take, you know. And that just, that, that it did not appeal to me. I tried a semester at that school and I knew I couldn't do that. And um, so I found myself at this job and I was like, okay, well, this is as close as I'm ever going to get to international anything. I got to get the hell out of here. Okay. And uh, so I literally packed up my car and I got, I told my parents, I said, um, I've got a few hundred dollars. I thought that stupid me thought that was enough to go to New York City. Cool. I had a few hundred dollars, I uh, got in my car and told them I was going to New York. And they're like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I'm old as hell. I'm getting out of here. I was like, you know, 21, 22 okay. at the most. Okay. And um, they're like, okay, well, we can't stop you. My dad said, well, I'm going with you. I'm riding with you up there. I want to see where you're living. So we now, had, what was your relationship with your parents? At it this was time? great. It was okay. great. I was that child, though. You know, I was always that child. You know, there's always that child. It's like you know, we're gonna go to church where there's that child that always makes you late. Gotcha. That was me. Okay. If uh, we had to eat at KFC one more Sunday after church, and one of the children was gonna pitch a fit about it, that was me. Okay. You know, I was just a lot of extra, but I was adopted and needed a lot of extra attention growing up. You know, so I needed that whole, you know. Feel that that need to feel accepted and loved, you know, being adopted, I was like that child. And so at what age were you adopted? Oh, I wasn't like Annie. I wasn't dancing around with the orphans. (laughs) But, you know, I did wear a red red wig on occasion. But um, 
Uh, it was birth. It was like, okay. it was before I was even born. My parents did some kind of deal with the devil. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, they found I, you. It was a lawyer, but same thing, right? So was this already a prearranged agreement with uh, your birth mother? My mom's friend worked with uh, a woman who was pregnant. And she went to this lawyer because she was, uh, I don't know the whole full story because there's two, di- two different versions of it from both sides. And, um, but basically she, her parents told her that she was going to have to get rid of the baby and she didn't want to. And so she went to this lawyer and said, I want to find a way to not get rid of the baby. You know, how about adoption? And that same, around that same time, my parents had told or my parents' friend told them about, uh, this woman they worked with, they ended up going to a lawyer. Do I need to get closer to the mic? Okay. They ended up going to a lawyer to find out about adoption. It happened to be the same lawyer that my biological mother had went to that day. And uh, they, he said, you know, well, there's this woman that came in today. I can talk to her to see if she's interested in meeting you guys or doing the arrangement with you guys. And to the penny, my parents had that money saved. And it like basically happened on paper that day. And I was adopted before I was even born. So, you know, now it's back in the day where she, you know, she could have just changed her mind, you know, at birth. Right. When she saw my beautiful face come out of her loins, sparkling with all that glitter just exploding everywhere. I was going to say nails already painted. My nails were on fleek, baby. Right. People still say on fleek. The kids do. I don't know know where. Do you know that that means dookie on a finger? I had no idea. So when someone says my nails are on fleek, they're actually saying they have shitty fingernails. Really? So yeah. it's butt play. Isn't that gross? Well, the interesting thing is that phrase came from a young lady in Wisconsin, and then all the rap artists took it. Really? Yeah. Scat, 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 scat. Good to know. <laughs> and see, that's why I don't keep bum, up with bum, trends. Bum. I have no idea. To, I have no, no intention of keeping up with trends that I'm not even <laughs> supposed to be a part of. I absolutely know where I am. But don't you love how I took it back to your childhood, even though I started off where you were 21? Well, you kind of made me have to take it there, you know? It's like some of it doesn't make sense. Right. See, my thing is I never like to say, so let's start in the beginning. Right? Because that's so Barbara Wawa. So I don't want to do that. far away. And there we go. (laughs) See how that flows with us and our chemistry? We can just go with it. And so you were adopted by these wonderful, loving parents, which, by the way, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, I am still up for adoption and available if you want to take me in. Me too. I still have that running petition going, so I can add your name, you know what I mean, if you need to. So you were always the child that required extra. Now, are you only child? No. There's my brother, and he's like the complete opposite. So they adopted me because they didn't think they could have kids. And then my, it was like, I think there's nine, there's 11 months between me and my brother. So three months after I come home, my mom got knocked up, you know? They were celebrating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Night. Yeah. Celebrate. It's the adrenaline. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's the adrenaline. The it's the euphoria. They already have yeah. young, you know? And the next thing you know, boom, Bob's yeah. your uncle. They have a new baby coming. And uh, so he is 100% genetically uh, my mom's Italian side of the family. He okay. is, he's like, he, he is good with his hands. He is a man's man. He's rough. Lumberjack. He's tough. If I need something like hardy done, I call my brother. You know, if I need something hauled out of a ditch, I'm calling my brother. If I need a bit shot, I call my brother. You know, it's like whatever I need, you know, that doesn't, that's, you know, that might mess up my fingernails. I call my brother for Right, right. Because he cares not if his nails are on fleek. Right. Um, So my question is, were you two always close growing up? No, we weren't. He, we were so opposite. He didn't, you know, I had, I had these weird things. I had this really tumultuous childhood with some abuse stuff that had happened. And I was, my brother always wanted to follow me. And I was so afraid that something was going to happen to him. I was really, really fucking mean to my brother to try to keep him from from being my shadow. He wanted to be my little brother. Right. But I didn't want him because some of the abuse that took place in my life happened in our neighborhood growing up. Wow. So it was like, you know, I didn't want my brothers following me around. And it's like I didn't want him to follow me around and potentially get, you know, some you know one of our friend's dad be like, "Hey, come in the house, come in the house, you know, you too, yeah, yeah, bring your brother, you know, so it was like I would be so fucking mean to him, and so 
I think that he doesn't, and I've told him this, but you know, he probably takes it with a grain of salt because he doesn't understand the abuse side of it. You know, like I felt like I was protecting him by being mean to him. Right. So as we grew up, he really freaking hated me. He he just he hated everything about me. And to this day, he doesn't understand me. I love we love each other. You know, we mm-hmm. don't wish ill will, but you know, we stay in our lane. Franklin, be quiet. We have a ghost. I understand that. This used to be a weight loss center, and it's all of the ghosts of the former. <laughs> Is it just the fat or the yeah, actual individual? Former shells of uh, the fat women that got skinny. You know, okay. Their ghosts still float around in here. Somewhere. And one day I hope for it to be mine as well. <laughs> Planet Fitness, You're thank you muscle, very that's much. That's all I see. Yeah. <laughs> Planet Fitness, they better be paying you if you're giving them a plug. Planet not. Fitness, send him a check. Yeah, if not, I'll just continue to take my unlimited hydro massage bed treatments. Oh um, it's unlimited. So, yeah, it's unlimited. That's How long I'm, are they for? It's unlimited for me as long as I'm a black card carrying member of Planet Fitness. Do you go to sleep when you get those? No. You don't? Mm mm. I just—I've had too many horror stories of me falling asleep and in the bed caving in on me. But anyway, sorry. No, it's all good. Trust me, it's going to happen. Ask you about isolation tanks. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to happen over the course of this conversation. But I'd be remiss if I didn't go back in regards to the 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 abuse. So yeah, it was like I didn't—I wanted to protect my brother, so I was nasty to him, very very nasty to him, and you know, he—it just carried over. It just carried over, and. Mm-hmm. Without saying the name of the individual, just in case you're not at well, liberty to discuss. Dead. There's a few of them, and half of them are dead. But These were all neighbors? A couple of neighbors, church, family, friends. And this um, is physical, sexual? Sexual abuse, yeah. Sexual, it sexual abuse. abuse. It was for like four years, four and a half years of, our, of my life. How long? Like, what ages are we talking? Uh, well, uh, it happened, It stopped when we moved out of that neighborhood. So I would say between the ages of like four and nine. So it's... It's roughly like four, I'd say around four years. I mean, I wasn't timing it as a kid, but looking back on it, it was around that time. And when we moved out of the neighborhood, it all kind of stopped. Now, when you moved out, is that what led the family to move away? No, no. My parents never knew. I was like, I had all these issues growing up, like stomach issues and bowel issues and IBS, I was, Crohn's, I was getting worms and all this kind of crazy shit. You was know? this and, IBS or Crohn's disease? Uh, it was all a result of the abuse oh, you know, wow. of the stuff that had happened to me. And it was like my parents, at the time, you just didn't know. It's like there was no internet. You know, they weren't on the on TV talking openly about, you know, here are the signs of if your children are being abused, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it's it's from the time where you would go out and you stay out until the streetlights come back on. Right. And so what happened in between, you know, most of our parents had no clue, you know, what was going on. So, you know, I, we'd be out in the neighborhood and, you know, I was that kid that always wanted to see it inside of people's houses. I mean, I would... I would just walk up to people, like, "Can I see the inside of your house?" I was so fascinated. And what it about it? Me, I I just had this fascination with the inside of people's houses. Yeah. I probably my mom was like into like she had a country store where they had furniture, and they were always like looking at furniture and in showrooms. And I would always be with them, so I think there there was a fascination there from mm-hmm. all that. But I would always go into want to see in people's houses, and my friends, even when they weren't there, if I liked their house or they had a big giant TV. My mom would have no clue. My mom and dad had no clue. I'd go over there and knock on the door and be like, can I come watch your TV? Yeah. Because, you know, we had that old school floor model TV that you right. had to lay on the floor. And the big box. Foot. Yeah. You know, we didn't have the box. We, the box turned the channels. You'd use your foot. You know, you'd lay on, on the, the floor dial. for the TV and use your foot to, you know, turn the dial. Well, oh, maybe that God. was only me. No, it's okay. My okay. grandma had it. You know, I, so I'm not, I'm not thinking the fuck. My I can foot rubbed all the darn numbers off the dial, you know. So would they, so, I mean, ages four and a half to nine, I mean, children vary in behavior at that point in time. So was there any change in your demeanor? Well, demeanor? I was Excuse like, me. all right, so I was, I was like, I was, uh, I love to sing. My favorite movie growing up was Annie. Mm-hmm. And so I was always um, acting things out. Like I was always um, performing. I would run around the neighborhood. And I'm not, when I say I regret my, those pictures to collaborate this, I would have put my underwear on with stars that I would have put on with a Sharpie. I'd take my shirt and, and look, I'm wearing my Wonder Woman shirt right now. Right. I would take my shirt like Ellie Mae. Yeah. And put it on there. With the tie? Yes. And I would wear my snow boots and then I'd have a rope in my underwear, my underwear all down, see half my business. Yeah. And that's how I would run around the neighborhood. I mean, I was like 
Seriously, I was like bait on a hook to a pedophile. Seriously, as a child. And nobody, wow. but nobody, it wasn't, because there wasn't the internet, things were so different then, you didn't know that you had to be scared of people in your neighborhood, that it was the people in your neighborhood. They didn't have it to where they had to live in certain areas. Didn't have to check and there in. Was a database. And, yeah. There was none of that, you know? Yeah. It was, if they happened to get caught, they'd go to jail and get out and go on about their life, Yeah, you know? So... They were in our neighborhood. They were everywhere. Yeah. They were in my church. You know, it was, it's crazy. So as you come out of that, you know, nine, ten years old, the family moves away and you said it, it, it pretty much ceased after moving out. But as you get older and you enter into adolescence and in your teenage years, as you think back on that, what's your takeaway from these experiences? Uh Well, you know, the first thing, it's awful. But I'm, I'll give my honest, I'm, there's a, there's three of them that are now dead. Okay. And I all I think in my mind is the first thing I think is, well, I'm glad with, I'm glad three of them are dead. Yeah. That's really that's really what I think. And um, the there's two more, and one of them had mental illness. Okay. And so I don't, I really don't hold a lot of um, the only thing I I get angry about is that I was ever able to be left unsupervised with this that person. Okay. That's the only thing I get angry about. And then the other one was like a family friend that was an op- that was opportunistic. Gotcha. And it was like you know, they've had what they've had what they their come up in life and it's yeah. like you know, I just kind of moved on, but when I think about it, it just makes me um angry because there's just things that like um like smells that I still can't stand. Mm-hmm. I don't like certain like a green polo shirt. Gotcha. There specifically a green polo shirt. I can't stand the sight of a green polo shirt for very specific reasons. You right. know, so that's the kind of stuff that like it's frustrating that I carry that over certain colognes. You know, right, right. It's and like it'll make me almost like see stars, and I start either feeling rage or I just want to leave. So, at what point in time did it ever click for you to say I am a victim of abuse? Uh, with Teresa, my wife, the first time I ever really told anybody was was her. Wow, fast forward, how many years is that from the last Lord occurrence? Mercy. Probably um like twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven years probably. Wow. Okay. And I had never told anybody and Teresa just didn't understand why like I had this thing where I could not function if somebody was in the bathroom with me. I had to have the I couldn't I have, I don't like anyone in the bathroom with me. I don't like somebody talking to me through the door. So your closed doors locked, leave me alone. Don't just leave me alone when I'm in the bathroom because that's a horrifying place for me when I think about mm. that's the one place I think about in my childhood that like horrifies me is people's bathrooms gotcha. so like I don't like for somebody to walk in and even talk to me with the door open if I'm looking in the mirror yeah. it makes me I mean it immediately yeah. makes me want to get the fuck out of there yeah you know? yeah it's because it's, it's, it's invasive yeah so Teresa yeah. just couldn't understand that stuff and yeah. there was this time where she had walked into the bathroom and I was just getting out of the shower, buck naked. You know, I'm over yeah. 30 years old. Yeah. And it freaked me out so bad, I ended up slipping and falling. And she laughed, and it oh, triggered gosh. me. And, I mean, I disappeared the other side of the house for like three hours and was crying. And she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that shit is not funny. It's not funny, and, and let me tell you like, why. And it turns like, into... It turned into this thing. And yeah. I was like... I I feel like I have to tell you because you're going to spend the rest of your life with me and there's some things you need to know that are going to make me act weird. There's only two or three of them. Okay. But this is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like yeah. I kind of went down the thing and told her and much, you know, I told her everything about me when we before I dated except for that. But I had not right. really, I never thought that there would be a need for me to share that with anybody. You know, like, do you think that's a masculine thing? Do you think that's a regarding a male or do you think that's regarding a victim? Because as men, I only say that because of this, as men, we're typically taught to hold in whatever may be traumatic, painful. And, and as I think about it, I feel like victims are also encouraged to do the same thing. I think that I try so hard to forget about it. OK, that I never the the desire for me to forget about it was much stronger than my desire to expose it and have to deal with it with my parents and especially my church. 
because I was very, very involved with the church, the Pentecostal church, yeah. where they were all up in your asshole all the time, constantly about, I mean, everyone knew everyone's business. Gotcha. And it was always about, you know, using prayer requests as ways to judge people. And you just mm-hmm. grew up where you were so fearful of what these people thought about you in this very close circle around you. Mm-hmm. So I think that I wanted to forget about it. I wanted to not think about it. And I didn't think that it would affect me. Mm-hmm. Because, and I th- and then when I was older, I don't think I told anyone about it because, you know, I always said that I was never, I was not heterosexual, I was bisexual, you know, that mm-hmm. I didn't care about your plumbing if I liked your your heart, you know, and I liked your mind and, you know, I could deal with your plumbing. And so I think for me, it was a prideful thing because I didn't want people to associate what had happened to me as a child with that, my sexuality, because I didn't, mm-hmm. I really did not want people I, I hate when people put those two things together. Right. You, you know are, I mean? yeah, you may be attracted to men because you might have been abused. I, yeah, I like, but I remember man. as a child, when I, but even before the abuse, being very curious about naked people. Right. Female, male, just in general. I mean, and I've always been like that. I love the human form in all forms, except for my own. I hate to see myself naked. Isn't that weird? Well, you that's think how like I to see myself naked, but I really love to see other people naked. Well, I, I think that's how a lot of people around feel. Around other people who are... Well, think about that. I, I feel a lot of people feel that way, only in the, you know, th- if you think about how many cosmic, sur- you know, cosmetic surgeries are, yeah. that, you know, people, I won't even just say women, but people who you look at and say, oh my God, you're beautiful. Yeah. They get all of these procedures done to try to make sure that that image of beauty that they see fit is what they project. Yeah. And that's just kind of my thought in regards to mm-hmm. that. Now, my question to you um, as you, you know, because there's going to be a couple things that will bank and, and go back and revisit, sure. you know, as you go through your high school years and, and you're, you're ending up at freight and then eventually make the decision to go to New York. Um, you know, as you're wrapping your mind around leaving the, you know, the only state that you've ever known in yeah. regards to North Carolina, what is New York selling itself to you as that you decide you want to go there well okay so again this is before the internet was a big thing you know i mm-hmm. think aol was just coming out mm-hmm. so it was the classic like new york and you know i think of the song i, I loved the song growing up you know to say the neon lights are bright on broadway well in my mind every time i thought about new york city i would hear that song in my head right so this child this person who's in this freight house making labels who likes to sing and dance you know i have these dreams of like i'm gonna go to new york and meet this weird southern guy that's discovered with a mediocre singing voice you know like (laughs) this gonna i'm gonna be the one you know right so i thought you know i'm young and i i I have a few i had 580 dollars in my bank account Mm -hmm. i said i thought i was rich too i was like well i got some money bitch i'm going to new york and I just, that was it. I just, I, I was like, this ain't for me. This, was, this was, life is not for me. Was freight, not even freight, just a life here confining because you are a creative? Well, I was like, where do I fit in? You yeah. know, like, I, I, I like to wear clothes that were from the urban clothing store. Unlike all of my friends who dressed from structure. Mm-hmm. I went to Rocky Mount to Jay Royal. Mm-hmm. Because that's where I liked their clothes better. I just mm-hmm. liked the way it looked. Right. And bigger, baggier pants. And it just looked cooler to me. And I that was my vibe. And I just didn't ever fit in, no matter what I did. You know, wearing three-piece suits. Mm-hmm. People didn't do that. Right. You know, I was right. in the Church of God. Yeah. Everyone wore their little blazer. And yeah. I was in a three-piece, basically like a Steve Harvey suit back in the 90s, you know? Right, right. So it's like, you know, I didn't fit in. And so I had to, to me, New York was like the place where I can go and I will find somewhere for my weird puzzle piece to finally fit, you know? Okay. And so so you pack up the car, your dad goes with. He goes with me. Well, I I did look up an ad, found somewhere to go look at this apartment. I didn't tell the lady how much money I had. Gotcha. And, you know, my dad thinks we're going up there to get this. uh, I've already got this apartment and I actually basically had to haggle with her about the place and tell her I'll give you three months rent if you let me live here for one month rent free. Like she 
It was like mm-hmm. the biggest gamble I've probably have ever taken in my life. Because I've driven all the way up here. This woman thinks I'm coming with deposit money in my hand. Right. And I'm thinking, this money's going to have to get me a, a subway, you know, a fast yeah. pass, yeah. metro pass, and some food. Right. You know, some clothes for a job interview because I didn't have a job. And I'm in New York City, and I'm there, and I'm already realizing, holy shit. You know, but my ego and my pride was like, I'm not telling my daddy that I'm freaking out, you know? So yeah. I acted like a, bo- uh, like a boss and bargained with this lady, and for some reason she took pity on me, this Caribbean woman who lived in, uh, it was an all-black neighborhood in Brooklyn, Canarsie. And they, I used to walk them down the street, and they called me officer. They'd be like, <laughs> officer, officer. Because you were the only white guy in the neighborhood? I was an undercover officer. Wow. And then they got to know me, and then I was going over to everyone's house to eat. He's no cop. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, come, I give you yams. (laughs) So you're in Canarsie. Yeah. So, so, all right, explain to me this. Your first night, you're in bed. Yeah. You're laying down. Pops is gone. He stayed with me the first night. He stayed with you the first night. I would imagine he did. (laughs) So we'll go to the first night he's not there. Yeah. And it's... Holy shit, I'm in New York. Yeah. What's that feeling like? Take me back to that time. Uh, I felt like I didn't know what the hell I was going to do because I didn't know how to get around the city. I didn't know anybody there. I had one friend that went was going to college like in the city that had went up to visit one time. But that was the only person that I knew that I could talk to that would help me get around the city. But this is for cell phones, boo. This is not, nobody had iPhones in their pockets. What know? year is this? Jeez, it was before 2000, I know that. So okay. I'd say like 98, Okay, probably. Gotcha. Okay. So it's right, you know, where the Zach Morris phone, you know. Gotcha, the big brick phone. Yeah, you know, gotcha. big phones. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it just wasn't something that people had like they do now. Right. And so I didn't really know how to get a hold of him. I didn't, there was like, it was just crazy. I, I just felt lost. So I literally just went to the subway looked at the map and I was like, well, I'm just going to go into the city and I'm going to look for a job. And I was like, I'll start it here, Lincoln Center, whatever this is. Yeah. So I drew, I took the subway all the way into Lincoln Center and I started walking around and just going into businesses and, and asking them if they were hiring. And I walked into this travel agency called Liberty Travel and the guy looked at me from the back and I just walked in and I just looked at him and I said, hi, how are you? And he goes, are you looking for work? And I was You just like, had that look. And I was like, yes, sir, I am. Yeah. And he's like, I can tell. He's like, sit down, let me get you some water. And I was like, all right. Turned out it was this guy, that he, his name was Maurice Hiroche, and he was the owner's son of the entire franchise of Liberty Travel. He just happened to be in there that day. And um, he's like, he ended up sending me to go to training. He paid for me to get a train ticket. I learned how to be a travel agent, and that's what like kept me alive. You know, So I was a full-time licensed travel agent with the IATA number and all that shit. And, so um, what thanks to this guy who just took pity on my little country ass, country mouse in the city looking for work. So as you're working as a travel agent, what creatively are you doing? You know, what's gonna get you to Broadway? I did everything. I did drag, I would go to uh I did this oh, I wish I could remember these it's like Bill and Judy Shepherd or Judy Jordan used to have this like cabaret. Mm-hmm. And so they would audition people and if they liked you they would create like this cabaret act around you and then you would just sing your songs and then they would do like, you know, like da 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 numbers in between, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of vaudeville-ish. It was really weird. And um, it was in the village. Okay. So they would um, do this little show and um, I every once in a while they would, I would do like a show with them and I would, you know, get paid for that and, you know, or I'd slap on a dress and some heels and contour to the gods, honey, and, you know, Sing a little, uh, you know, it's raining men, do a split, collect 400 bucks and go home and, you know, and the, my feet. And the, st- <laughs> and the stage never intimidated you. You welcomed it. Uh, it did. It didn't intimidate me when I was, uh, when I'm, when I'm somebody else. Okay. When I'm something different than just my natural state. Like. So drag was actually, it helped. Oh, I was great. Because you're in it. character. I was great at it. It was a character. Yeah, it yeah. was a costume. They're I mean, not seeing. I didn't get anything yeah. out of it. You know, yeah. it like, I didn't have a need to dress like a woman. I was real eager to get that shit off. I was taking it off in the cab on the way home. Right. When I got done, you know. But the fact that they're not seeing Justin Porter, they're yeah. seeing whoever you're projecting. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
that was almost like a mask of some sort, but yeah, it's your talent. For sure, yeah. And, that, and I got to, and because I was a singer, I was really good at lip singing. And I was like Whitney Houston good. Like, You'd have you the could, neck muscle protruding yes, and yes, got gotcha, you. Because I would really gotcha. be singing while I was doing it, you know, and I would know every nuance. Like I could do a Mariah song to this day. You know, like nobody's business, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the, the the homosexual community in regards to New York. I mean, you know, akin to to LA, it always seemed to be so warm, welcoming. Is it inclusive? I have to be honest. I was so grossed out by the community. I don't know. Let me tell you why. When I first got there, my only exposure to the gay community was where uh, was through a friend that I had made there, who showed me where all of like the cruising areas were and I thought I didn't know what that was coming from North Carolina I had no clue what that was you right. know and he'd be like he'd call this place called the Rambles and then he'd call this place down at it was like Christopher Street Pier and he's like oh yeah this is where everyone comes down to Christopher, Christopher Street you know we go to Big Cup and get coffee and I'm like okay cool you know and I'm like you know come from church so I'm looking for like my church group you know oh, I think wow. you know the, the what do they call it now your tribe right so people yeah. out their tribe. So I was looking for my tribe. Yeah. And the people, the that portion of the community, I was exposed to the underbelly of the gay community. And what is the under? Like, how would you describe it in layman's it terms? The, um, or straight men's terms? I would call it, like, the the after-midnight homosexuals. Like, the ones that may or may not have been in a, a heterosexual relationship during the day. Okay, so down low. Down low, Down low relationships, yeah. got you. And um, I was, that's really what, I was not exposed to a nice nightclub. This is where my friend took me. And I gotcha. was like, okay, this is where people hang out. And so it's like a couple of weekends of hanging out there. And I'm like... Man, a lot of people want to do it out here. Like, they real DTF around here. Okay, so it's just aggressive. We it's are just sex. Aggressive. It's about like, sex, and, and that's it. Was it was only like a two or three block radius. I'm thinking it's the whole freaking community. You know? And I'm like, this is real aggressive for my taste. You know, I think, you know, this 30% is shrinking in me. You know? I mean, I'm more like maybe 15% on this side of the spectrum, you know? Got you. And so would you find that there was... You know, was this strictly homosexual? Was this bisexual? And and were you finding well, that you I, weren't even satiating your desires sexually? You were just being exposed to a new world that you yeah, were I just... wasn't a hoe, you know? Yeah. I wasn't a hoe at all because, you know, people... It, because of the that part of the world I was exposed to, people were so aggressive, it really grossed me out. So the couple of... The few times I had experiences, it was horrific. Gotcha. I'm talking about horrific. Yeah. And it was like... Okay. <laughs> it's not much love making, I would imagine. Yeah. Not so know. much Luther Vandross. So did you, I mean, did you date while in New York? And yeah. would you, okay. I dated women. I dated men. I dated yeah. a couple of coworkers, you know. Yeah. And it was like, it was fun, you know. And so in my 20s. <laughs> how, what period of life is this going until in regards to your time in New York, working as a travel agent? Like what, what, take us to the, to the end of this new experience of New York for you before you found an opportunity to make it your own? So I realized that I was not talented enough to be on Broadway. I had a realization. What was that rude awakening? It was an audition. I had gone to this audition. I'm standing in line. And while I'm standing in line, um, Jerry Stiller, the guy, you know, like... Wow. um, You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes. He literally comes out of the side of the building while we're standing in line to go to this audition. And he's like in the production. And he comes by and he comes and shakes our hands. He's got a cup of coffee, having sunglasses, a long trench coat, very fabulous. Huh. And it was like he just came and talked to us. And I was, and he was so like he had a, a inner. It, there was something about him mm-hmm. that I was like, God, he he knows his shit. This is his art. Mm-hmm. He already, you can tell, he came out of there. He already knows his part. He's done with his little blocking of the lighting and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, here we are auditioning. So I go into this little room, and I'm listening to people sing hearing people sing and mm-hmm. I can't even read music you know I totally fake it so I would get like I'd find out what song it was and then I'd go and like go to the music store put on their little cassette headphones and just listen and to listen it to on song repeat and learn the song and then go and act like I could read music so um, I, I'm there with the music and people are like really reading the music and then they ended up like changing like the way the song went and uh, I look like an asshole because, you know, here I am. I'm still singing the old part of the song. Right. I knew it. And I just, I realized, I was like, these people have 
years of education and training, plus they have the talent, plus they look better naked. So I, I'm finna, did that matter? I'm finna get out of here. Well, you know, it's kind of like being, you know, like really, it's like you really are like the thumb in the soup. Okay. It's like you stand in there, and it's like you know you're sitting up real straight, so it doesn't look like a can of pop biscuits around your belt. Gotcha. You know, and everyone else is like yeah. you know. Lifting their shirt up to wipe the spread of sweat off the brow. I'm sitting there looking at him like, fuck you. Put your goddamn shirt down, you skinny asshole. <laughs> and so the decision at that point in time when you found Sorry, out. It, you said it was okay to cuss, right? Yeah, you could cuss. Okay, Come on. Right. Fuck shit. Okay, Go ahead. Get right, it out. Make sure. It's all Sorry, good. I'm getting comfy. Mark, now, when you find out Broadway's not for you, are you now starting to think New York is not for you? Yes, because I caught myself stepping over homeless people. And I was like, you know, this is just not my nature. I was never one. Became calloused. Yeah, it was like, I was that person that when I first came to the city, seriously, people, my coworkers used to call me. I worked with all Latino women. They were all from Puerto Rico. And I went to their house. They taught me how to cook. I mean, they really took me under their wing. Mm -hmm. And they, um... What was the question? I got sidetracked by my screensaver in there. No, you, you're fine. I was. Uh, I asked if once you realized Broadway wasn't for you, oh. did you realize New York wasn't for you? And you said yes. You found yourself becoming callous. Yes, and so uh, you know they took me under their wing, and I would go to their neighborhood, and they would call me, you know, country mouse in the city because they had tons of people asking for money right outside of their buildings, and I would go through there, and I'd give every freaking dollar I had out of my pocket. And they'd always laugh at me. They're like, country mouse, you can't keep doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, I will do it until I have nothing left. Because you're going to go like, broke okay. and they're going to keep like, coming okay, back. baby, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll check back in six months, baby. You know? Yeah. And sure enough, you know, I, it was like a year and a half later. I won't get, I wasn't even making eye contact. I was kicking yeah. their foot out of the way. Like, get your foot out of the fucking sidewalk. You know, like, and I was like, oh, my God. I gotta get back to North Carolina. <laughs> so, what's the process of leaving New York? And I called my mama and daddy. Okay. I can't even front. I called my mama and daddy and said, "I need up out of here." My mama said, "Okay, baby, come on home." And so, so what's the feeling as a creative? Because you're feeling like is a is I'm a thinking, dream denied, a dream deferred in that moment for you? Uh, I'm thinking, well, all right. So I still had a lot of residue from the church left over. Okay. So like you know, like every time I spanked my monkey, I had to ask God for forgiveness. Still, you know. Oh wow, you're still things. doing that in your twenties? No, 20s. not now. I oh mean, okay. <laughs> no, I'm I meant in your twenties. <laughs> yeah, in my twenties. Hello. <laughs> so it was like I, you know, I just um. I just thought, you know, well, this is what God has for me. You know, I, 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 every church term I'd ever heard in my life is what I began to tell myself. Yeah. You know, God has something bigger. God is in control. Yeah. You know, rejoice for my steps are ordered because yeah. I'm a righteous man, baby. You know, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I'm... You play holy mad libs yeah. and you just plug in the words as they seem However, seem whatever fit. my mood was, I made it fit, boo. Yeah. And, um... So I just that I just kind of like I guess would you say a dream stifled? I said uh, was it a dream denied? Now a dream deferred? I think I thought it was dream deferred because it's, I was still in my early twenties. Yeah, you know, I you still a, feel like you have everything I in front of you. I still had a little bit of hair left, right? You know, I still, you know, I was still hung like a twenty year old, so I was good. Okay, you know, I was good. Bright side. I thought glasses okay. half full. Yes, we'll be okay. And so then, of course, you know. I start getting fat being back in North Carolina. And I'm like, well, the Raleigh Little Theater called. They said they didn't want me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you no. came back and auditioned for, for, for... I tried theater. every okay. little thing I could. And then finally, you know, those little shows, American Idol, all came along. I auditioned for all of them. Tortured myself standing in the long-ass lines. Listening to them children singing like God's. Just, but what was it? Because you have the vocal talent. I have. I am a good singer. That is all I can say about my voice. I am not somebody that like people would pay to go see a concert of just me singing. Like I could not pull off okay. a Celine Dion concert. So you don't view yourself as a star. I view myself as an entertainer. Okay. Like I don't. Okay. I don't. Star is a. That's a crazy word to me. But yeah, I I like to entertain people, even if it's two people. Gotcha. I don't care like how big an audience is. I love if it's mm-hmm. entertaining someone, I love it. What about entertaining uh 
what what about entertaining is it appeals why are you so adopted, passionate about it? It appeals to that adopted kid who is always afraid of being rejected and when you entertain people and they like it, it's it gives you that feeling of okay. We accept you, we need yeah, you almost to be you around. Feel good just the way you are and it makes you feel like, okay, I'm safe here. No, do I need to put this down? Is it messing up the sound? No, you're fine. It's just interesting that you say that in regards to you being adopted. I'm an only child, and I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way every time I get a laugh in a room. Well, I think it's like that when with only kids because, you know, I think kids require a certain amount of attention. And even when you don't mm. get that amount, when you don't get that amount of attention, you get half that amount of attention as an only child. Mm-hmm. Or what do you mean? Did you say only child or... Did you have any siblings? You don't have any siblings. I don't have siblings. I was thinking you had a sister. Why did I think you had a sister? I call a lot of people sister. But no, I have no biological oh, brothers and sisters. No. Sister, I don't know why. Not anyway. at all. No, see, and that's the thing, but you know, you know me. I'll come into a room yeah. and I'm either gonna come in one of two ways. I'm either gonna come in and try to light up the room, yeah. or I'm gonna try to fade into the background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure. if I make an offhand comment that gets a couple laughs, well, then you'll see me kind of come. I'll peel myself off the wall and yeah. I'll continue to roll until I get some momentum going. But yeah. that's interesting, you know, but in I'm regards. I'm not like that in a room of people. I get a little nervous in a room of people. If I have a microphone or stage or a platform, mm-hmm. I feel it, I feel very differently. Like tomorrow night, I'll feel totally different. Like I can't even think about hosting that thing tomorrow night. It makes me want to throw right up. now, right now, until but you get tomorrow in tomorrow night. I'm going because I'm singing a Whitney Houston song to start right. out with. Yeah, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to throw some light up stuff out in the thing, audience. And I know it's going to be fun, and I've done it before. It's easy. Yeah, but it's not until I'm up there and have the microphone that there's this thing in me that's like fearless. It's weird. It's Interesting. Like, it's like a Beyonce or Sasha Fierce. Yeah. It's very true. Your alter ego. You tap into that. that. Yeah. But only in certain environments. Like if I was in a room like with family or friends and they're like, entertain us. It makes me want to crawl into the sofa. Yeah, that's different. (laughs) Well, also, it's not by choice. You're kind of being ordered to do it. And then I can't remember anything. Yeah. It's like, now I look like an asshole. Thank you so much, sons of bitches. I thought y'all said he could sing. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) So you come back home. Raleigh Little Theater says no, or the Little Raleigh Theater, or whatever the theater was in Little Raleigh. They said no, they don't mean shit to me. There we go. So when do you eventually meet your partner, and and you get to this point now? All right, so... So, so, I was living in Rocky Mount because I had started this log home company called Log Homes for Us, and it was for the gay community because I found out that lesbians love log homes. And rednecks are scared of lesbians. So you took yourself out of the underbelly. You didn't let the underbelly deter so you completely. So the underbelly deter me from making money, honey. <laughs> so I saw this market from going to the log home shows because I was working for log, the original log cabin homes. Send me a check, Tom Vesh, cheap bastard. Anyway, um, he'll laugh. Don't worry. He's not going to sue you. Um, he thinks I'm funny because he's a northerner, and northerners think southern accents are funny. He used to they laugh. do. I, one time we were in a meeting, and I said, are you on crack? <laughs> and everyone was like, <gasps> and he was like, <laughs> he thought it was so funny. Anyway, so I was working with this log home company, going to log home shows, and all these rednecks were going around and or have are like in these booths for these different log home companies. And these lesbians are coming in. There's tons of lesbian couples coming in. And they're going up to get the little brochures and talk to the sales guys about, you know, to building a home, and they were literally, like, turning their backs, leaving the booth, ignoring these gay couples coming up. And I'm like, er, beep, 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 beep. That's a market. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I just started making real intense eye contact with every lesbian and gay couple I saw. Mm-hmm. And it was like, immediately, it, you could tell, they. it was like, there was this energy. It's like, there's our invitation. There's somebody that will talk to us. Yeah. And they came over, and my sissy ass didn't know a thing about log cabin homes, but I had a price list gotcha. and model names. That's yeah. all I needed. <laughs> so they would come over and talk to me, and I would, you know, say, "Here's the model homes, or with this big, you know, like little thumbnails on a piece of paper mm-hmm. with a price next to it." I'd be like, "These are the ones we have," and they're like, "I was like, here's my card, give me a call." Well, I started selling homes left and right, selling like packages, and everyone's like, "How are you doing this? You know, what have you tapped into?" And I'm like. Just people that I look for the people that nobody talked to. 
That's mm. all I told people. Yeah. So then I went to the owner of the company, Tom Fesh, and I said, Tom, I see a market here. I was like, there's a lot of lesbians out there that like to build their log homes. I said, you know, lesbians build things better than anybody. So let's give them an outlet, honey. Let's market to them directly and let them get their damn log home kits instead of making them, you know, it was like the poor lesbians couldn't get their homes because these rednecks wouldn't help them. Right. It was very strange. It's a very good old boy industry. Yeah. And he thought it was genius. And so he basically wrote me a blank check and said, start it. And so I did. And I immediately got a contract for 125 homes in the mountains of North Carolina from this lesbian, this group of five gay people. It was three gay men. They called themselves the three bears and two lesbians. They called themselves the pride five partners. And they bought an entire mountain and, Filled it with my log homes for as a retirement community for gay people. Can you believe that? It's called Carefree Cove in Zionville, North Carolina. All my homes. And they need crazy? to build a statue of you and right so out there. so I ended up snorting all of that money up my nose. because No. Yes, I loved cocaine at the time. And I snorted all of it up my nose. When did you get into cocaine? Oh, uh, in New York. Okay. Yeah, it was fun. But it was, was it just something that was a part of the after hours after we yeah, get off stage? Yeah, I was in drag. You know, it was yeah. like you know, I'd work as a travel agent all day long, and I'd have to keep going. Yeah, and just to get my makeup to two hours, and then I'd have to be on for an hour on on yeah. stage, on and off. And it was I'd be tired, so I'd take a little toot toot, yeah, a little beep beep, and then I'd go on about my business. And then by the time I got to North Carolina, back, it just became a problem then, you know, okay. trying to get it, and then just wanting more of it, it was crazy. When do so, you know a problem, a drug problem is a problem, versus just a casual interest? Uh, when you buy, when you're by yourself doing it, just, I mean, I wouldn't say by yourself, because like, if you smoke weed by yourself, that's not a problem. Okay, now I'm, I'm just really worried, about, okay. No, like, if, if I'm talking about like, hardcore like a drugs. for real problem. Like, you like, smoke meth, you gotta smoke meth. Yeah. By yourself just to make it through the day. When you start understanding, oh, I can wear my underwear and drive yeah. and go get this and nothing yeah, like, else. I, got mean, you. I guess, I don't know, Fred, because I'm sitting here with this e-cigarette and I cannot imagine going through my day without this e-cigarette. So is it any different, really? Oh, I think it's all a matter of what people accept, right? I think it's more perception. Now, granted... If you're looking at an empty refrigerator, you have kids, and you decide, nah, I'm going to get some more That's meth. when you know. That's a problem. I would okay. say, I would All right. say when you choose your drug over your food. Yeah. Because even a stoner ain't going to choose a joint over a cheeseburger. If you know that you're about to smoke a joint and you can't get a cheeseburger, mm -hmm. you're not going to choose that joint. Right. Anyway, I digress. Easily. Sorry. Because, yes. You, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I went off on the sidebar. You got me in my early 20s. You know, I've got, <laughs> I'm in that frame of mind now. And so you said that, you know, the contracts and all of that and the commission off of that went all up your nose. And so eventually this is going to lead us to Teresa. So, yes. you know, after everything goes up your nose, boom. So my parents want me to come to church. Oh, hallelujah. So this is back to the Pentecostal church? This is all back to my roots. You know, my mom's okay. like, this is a perfect opportunity. He's coming back to Jesus, Larry. Now, did they know the issue they, with cocaine? Yeah, okay. I never hit anything. Okay. <laughs> and I was terrible at lying or hiding stuff, you know. So they just knew, but it wasn't, I was really very highly functional and it wasn't to where I didn't have food in the refrigerator. You know okay. what I mean? It Got was you. almost there, but not quite, you know. Got I still you. had some ramen noodles in the pantry. Gotcha. <laughs> so my you know, my parents are like, you know, come to the church, we want you to do something and I'm like, I ain't going to no dang church. Yeah. And they're like, you know, well there's a cookout. And I was like, now hold on. What kind of food? And they're like, there's gonna be chicken, there's gonna be ribs. I said you had me a chicken as long as it's not only hot dogs, I will come to this little raggedy-ass church cookout. And they're like, okay, great. Praise the Lord. So I drove an hour from Rocky Mount, come in, go to this little church picnic. Sure enough, they had some little white people Cornish game hen. I was like, you could have differentiated. You could have told me. <laughs> There's a difference. Game hen versus chicken. Because yeah. do you know how much meat is on a game hen? Not much, right? It's like a tapas, honey. Put yeah. it on a cracker. Put yeah. the whole bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anywho i digress so i'm sitting there eating my little tiny chicken leg mm -hmm. it's the size of my pinky i'm really still a little disgruntled about that cornish game hen wasn't sure where you were going when you said it's the size of my and then uh, yeah yeah well got you 
Size of my pinky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give give or take I'm, a winter month. Give or take. I got a good cold dip. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're there. And then the And all of a sudden I hear this person over to the side say, Girl, relax, relate, release. And immediately my radar goes up because this is one of my favorite lines from the show Different World. Mm. Where um it, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. No, Dwayne Wayne. And, yes, yeah. but it was with, um, now I can't remember her damn name, the <sighs> choreographer, yes. Felicia Rashad's sister, yes. Debbie Allen. Yes. Debbie Allen is playing a psychologist and Whitley Gilbert's in there freaking out about something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, girl, relax, relate, release. So every time you feel this rising up, she goes, you just go relax, relate, release. And so that was just something that always stuck with me my yeah. entire life. And I always in my mind would said. You know, the person I marry is going to have to know what I mean when I say relax, relate, release. Go figure. So I hear this voice yeah. come over. And I look over and I see Teresa sitting in the window seal talking to this other girl that was in like the singles ministry of the church. And I was like, who is she? Because I like a thick woman. Yeah. And she was thick. She was cute. Yeah. She was la- had a big smile on her face. Everyone was kind of angled towards her and drawn towards her, including mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really like her. I was like, she, there's something interesting about that girl. And the more she talked, the, I was just tickled by what she was saying. Yeah. And um, so uh, she ended up sitting over here, ne- over next to me. We got to talking, and I, I literally in my in that moment, I knew I was going to marry her. I just knew. What was the first conversation between you two? Uh, it, I actually asked her. I said, "Do you?" I said, "Do you always say relax, relate, release? What is that?" She goes, "Oh, it's one of my favorite lines from the show, A Different World." And we then we just started talking. I couldn't even tell you what we talked about that first time, other than it was like forty five minutes. We were sitting there in the middle of this church picnic, and afterwards we find out everyone was kind of like watching this happen because they couldn't believe it that. I was there. This guy that had this gay log home company was sitting here flirting. <laughs> they think that I'm just gay. They have no idea right. what my, where I, which way I swing. They right, because I'm with this company. That this is what I do. Right, and um, I'm sitting here. To- I'm sitting here thinking about when I can, you know, get that celibacy ring off of her finger because I sure did notice that she had on a cel. Uh, you know, I'm. Do they wear it on the pinky ring? Where no, do y'all she, wear it? I'm married to Jesus ring. She wore it on a ring finger on her right hand. Okay. It had like a cross and a heart. As soon as I saw that cross and heart, I was like, well, somebody's holding the key to that. I was about to say, it's going to take a while. That's going to take some work. So I was like, all right. But, you know, I grew up in the church. So that's, to me, that was the path I was supposed to take. I, in my mind, I ignored all those years of sexual craziness. And I'm now I'm back on track, Jesus. Okay. I'm in church. <laughs> I'm in church, girl. This is, you know, and in my mind, I've just flipped back over. You know, all those years in between are gone, and I've right. started right back. All those years have kind of closed in. You know, so um, I, I just knew I was going to marry her, and I we I, asked, I sat down with her uh, at a church at, at the picnic, and I said, "Listen, I want to take you on a date, but there's some things about me you need to know first. And she's like, "Okay." I said, "I used to do drag." I lived in New York City, had a drug problem. Actually, I still did at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said, you know, there is, at any given time, you may run into a girl that I dated. You may run into a man that I dated. You may run into a transsexual named Takashi that I dated. God bless But you need Takashi. to know, it just in case, if that happens, you can't be surprised. I don't ever want you to be like, I had no idea. That is intense, but so, also pretty admirable. And I was like, and then I thought, there's no way this girl's going to be interested. <laughs> if she is, I'm going to charm her to death, and I'm going to treat her like a queen for the rest of my life. And and she just, she was like, I appreciate that. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Let's wow. go out. And so we went out on a date. And, and the rest is history. And that was it. Nine months, uh, I proposed to her nine months later. Great. We were married within that year. Well, forget about Teresa. More on Takashi. Um, oh, no, Takashi. I'm just... <laughs> Very flexible. Very flexible. No, love you, Teresa. And that and that's awesome. Now, in regards to the age of, you know, social media, you know, because this now brings us to the person we all know now, we all love, we all follow, we all see. With the rise of, you know, the YouTubes and the Facebook Lives, what tapped in 
you know, when did you say, I want to tap into this, you know, this straight-to-consumer medium of entertainment? Well, I was um, a stay-at-home dad, and I was really bored. I didn't, okay. I, we had decided that it was cheaper for me to stay at home than for me to work my way to get a new job, work my way up. You know, we just, just we did the math, and it was cheaper for me to be at home and be like, Daddy Daycare, took in another child. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of like my income. So I was bored to death. Bored to mm. death. So actually, this is before Daddy Daycare. This is when the baby's born. So I'm online and I see this video of this woman cooking in her kitchen and she's cussing. She lives in Compton. She's tough. She's gangster. She's like, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. And she was cooking how to feed seven, how to feed ten people for seven dollars, or how to feed seven people for ten dollars. And it was a dish using like takeout food and ramen noodles. And it, her name was like Auntie Fee, and she was mm-hmm. this um, online cooking celebrity. So she went viral, like, within a day or two of posting this video of just her cooking in the kitchen. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody cuss like this when they're cooking. Mm-hmm. This is so anti, like, media, like regular mainstream entertainment. I was like, mm-hmm. there's something special here. So I started following her. So she did a second video. It was really great. And she ended up screwing up, like, her YouTube page, and she didn't monetize it the right way. So all of, like, the four, five, six, seven million views she got, she didn't get monetized. She, and then she put out, she said, does anybody know how to do social media? I need help. So I just messaged her. out of the, I, I responded to her message. Mm-hmm. I started helping her, and she said, um, you're really good at this. Can you help me um, with clothes? So she had some shows and stuff she had to be on, and I picked out clothes. So there's a couple of times I shipped her stuff. And so she started wearing the clothes that I was sending her for her like public appearances. And she's like, you're really good at this. She goes, I've got to go out of town. I'm going to go be on the Steve Harvey show, and I've got to be, I'm going to go be in a movie. So I can't record videos. Can you go on to the page, my page on Facebook? Because her whole community lived on Facebook. Okay. This thing called the family, the family. Yeah, And so she said, can you make videos for them? And I was like, okay. Well, I was a white guy. And this is now you in front this of the camera. me in front of the camera. And I was like, I don't really do that, but I can do that for you, sure. You know, I'll, I'll figure something out. And so uh, I started out by, it was around Christmas time, and I started out by just showing a tutorial on how to decorate a bald head for Christmas. Okay. And I just literally just took Christmas lights, and I was talking to the camera, and just decorating my head with Christmas stuff. Posted on the page, everyone went nuts. It had like two or three thousand views the first like like the first hour. Now are you thinking this is something that's like, gonna how take did a- this happen? Like what in the world? Like I figured they would all hate me because it was older African American women and I was this white guy in the middle of them and here I am. I'm like and, and Felicia Odell, this the celebrity they follow out of the blue behind the scenes has said you post videos and entertain my fan base. Right. And I'm like, they're going to turn on me. Right. Like, they're going to think I'm trying to get famous. Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to do it, but I was like, it sounded fun. And I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to do it. Right. So as I, I then, you know, after that, I started, I, I came up with this character and where I put on a wig because I felt like it would be, I was afraid to be myself. Again, putting so on the... I put on this suction cup wig. And I created this character because I felt like it would be a softer blow to the fan base of her group if I came in as a female character. Okay. You wouldn't be such shaved. a stark change. Okay. It was just lipstick, but I was really pretty on camera. It was really strange. And um, they loved that character. So they would start sending me things. They started sending me gifts. They started sending me uh, makeup. I, I mean, I started getting boxes. I, have, I still have been... In fact, there's a bin in the office right now that says fan gifts that wow. was from our garage because I was getting bins of things because she had like 800-something thousand followers and grew to like 2 million-something. And I'm entertaining these people. Mm-hmm. And this is where all of your content's going. You haven't even broken off on your yeah, own. It's I didn't strictly know about still being, content. Honest being to God, I never too. even okay. thought about what content was. I was like, I'm just going to do this. So all of a sudden, she – make a long story short – a lot of her people started commenting and interacting more on the videos I was posting on her page than they were on hers. 
Okay. She got very jealous of it. And she actually started reporting my videos that she would ask me to post. Then she would report me for tagging her on the video. Anyway, it's a whole long thing. So all, she literally made told her followers that they had to decide between her and me. Wow. Like a celebrity said, and I'm just this dad at home with a baby, like making, slapping on a wig in between naps. Right. Making these videos. And so she, it just became this thing. And like a bunch of like thousands and thousands of her followers just started following me and left, left her alone. And then she actually died last year of a heart attack. Oh, man. Gosh. Rest in heaven, Felicia. But we made up and everything before okay. she passed. It was very strange. We had a, a, yeah. arranged a date that we were going to get together. Yeah. It was very weird. It was very weird, the timing of everything. And so then that birth. So that birth video, I just started. I realized I really love video. And I, I started recording other people's stories. I would show up at some of her fans' house and do like these live like on location on location at Shamil's house you know yeah Franklin stop it our ghost is going crazy in there hey reminiscent so you know and it was like I really enjoyed it and I liked the whole I was like this is fun because you can really tell a story even when there's no story now is there any backlash that you're receiving in regards to this are there any you know yeah it was uh it was it was i experienced racism i i don't i hate to say that as a white man i I really hate to say i experienced racism but i mean if it happened it happened yes, <laughs> I was, oh, yes it was really strange so basically say, who's the but white boy it's so weird because i can't it, i still can't i couldn't react I, it didn't burn for me the way that i know that it burns mm-hmm. on the other side so it was like right. i can't i experienced it is all i can say right i can't say that it affected me Right. If that makes any sense. It does. Know? It affects me more when I see it on the other side. Okay. But coming at me, it's like I've I've had it easy. I'm a white dude. Yeah. Like I mean, it's like it's I wouldn't say I've had it easy, but it's like it's not the same don't experience. Cross the street because right. I'm walking on the same side of the street. As right. Me, you know. So I hate to talk about that shit. Oh. No, I understand. It's me a whole other direction. I get all pissed off. <laughs> and so as you've, you know, now curated and created content, I mean, you've been involved in pre-production in regards to reality shows. Now, yeah. how when did they when did this process start happening? There was somebody that followed me on Facebook that had a friend who was a casting agent who said, um, I've got to put you in contact with my friend Tracy Sinclair. I don't know if I was supposed to say her name, but that's her name. And um, whatever. Don't go friend her, y'all. <laughs> she's hard to find. She don't just try to come up. A real name. She's smart. She doesn't have a real name on Facebook. Smart. smart. Okay. Good. So um, so she's a casting agent for all of these shows for Fox, and mm-hmm. you know she's like I think works for Bravo now. But she said, you know, I, you two have to meet. I just want you to talk to her. I think that she's going to want to cast you in something. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So she sets up a call. I talk to her and. All of a sudden, she's setting me up with auditions for shows, even like um, like game shows. Uh, what's that one from Seinfeld? The Match Game, I think. Was... Not familiar. Okay, Sorry. Anyway, yeah, old some... school, they tried to recycle it. Okay. You know, win five grand tops. Gotcha. So um, I just started auditioning for these shows, and it was like there was a marriage show for me and Teresa like called Pillow Talk, where they would have a camera in our bedroom 24 hours a day, 30 days for like three months or something like that. I was really excited about that show. I couldn't wait to be y'all black friend to be on that oh show. Oh my god. Stop by uninvited everything. I we couldn't We were gonna wait. put a sofa in our living in our bedroom. bedroom. Yeah. Just so we'd have like a lounge area so we could have our friends come by. I was about to say a swing, anything. Oh you god, know? no. We don't, we don't have the energy for that. She's got a titanium leg. It only bends so far. And so you, you know have pretty teeth. Thank you. Did you have braces? Never. Wow. Never. That's good genetics. I tell you what, teeth, eyebrows, and eyelashes, man. I won the lottery when it comes you to did. that. You, you know. have really good teeth. Thank you. Good Thank you. Thank anyway, you. sorry, I got off track. I got it's track. all good. It's My all good. AD medicine is totally worn off by now. It is all good because what we're going to end up doing is we're going to put a bow on this episode. Awesome. But I feel like there's an adjunct episode we should do right. where we just generally discuss. But in regards, as we put a bow on the story of Justin Porter. <laughs> Uh, behind the man in front of the camera, as I'm going to title it. All right. uh, and I just came up with that off the top of my head. I have no idea if that made genius. sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, is TV something you're wanting to do? Not really. Not at all? 
I would like to produce it for other people. I would like to find people who are so talented that it's just sick that they haven't been discovered and work with them. That's what I want to, I would like to do production and video for people like that. That's my, that's my dream is to be a discoverer of talent. Interesting. That's interesting. You say that only because number one, that's how I feel about you in regards to the fact that you bring joy to the people you entertain. And I don't say that in a way that could come across as condescending because entertainment is a gift. It's not just an act. It's it's not just what you do. Yeah. There's something ingrained in you that makes you a light to other people. And My hope is that people would allow me to show what I do, you know, just myself, but would all would receive the fact that I'm bringing other talent to the table mm-hmm. the same way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's that would be my hope. Absolutely. So there's no hope of you being dropped in a jungle anymore and being on a reality show? Me, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not stupid. That was a reality show idea, yes, guys. I'm going to drop my ass in a jungle with with a survival expert. Yeah. Watch me. So not quite naked and afraid. No, but you know. Because they were going to allow you to wear heels. I got you. <laughs> now, Justin, where can the people find you? Who haven't uh, discovered you yet? Okay, so Justin is here, y'all. Is my personal page. I have a big crafting page. Uh, it's uh, Crafting, Cooking, and Glitter with Justin Porter and Friends. You can also find me on YouTube, whatever. I'm not, you know, I've got a, I've got a few people to follow me. I'm not huge, but, you know, I like, I like my group of people. You know, we're like family. Absolutely. So come man. join the family. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, brother, for your time and for inviting me here to this beautiful studio. Guys, again, please check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, comment. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Thank you guys again for your time, for giving us a listen. Take care of one another. Be good to one another. Take care. Peace. Bye. Dreams. I sell it.